Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Good morning, and welcome to a study of Colossians. Today we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, the first 14 verses. And uh, I hope that you will turn there with me, and that you will read along and follow along as we uh, discuss this together. Uh, I will be reading some of the verses, but not all of them as a part of uh, the class today, so I uh, would ask that you uh, follow along closely so that you can gain some benefit, but more importantly, so that you can check and make sure that what I'm teaching is what the Lord has to say. This uh, lesson today that in chapter 3 begins study of the section on, <clears throat> on practical applications in the book of Colossians. As I've mentioned before, the first two chapters are about doctrine or theology. And here we see the beginning of the applications and we see some very deep and valuable lessons in this, in these verses we'll speak about and also in these last two chapters. So I want to urge you, they are for us. We've talked about the doctrine, the theology so far. These three words that I've used in the title, the new life in Christ, seek, set, put, might not make a lot of sense in the way that the title is worded, but these are three verbs that we'll look at that are found there. And these three verbs are the basis of five commands that are given in this passage. There is also a sixth command that we'll mention as well uh, as we go through. But just like the young plant that's pictured in this pot, this section in chapters 3 and 4 is intended to promote our growth, our spiritual uh, direction and and, uh, moving toward maturity in Christ. Uh, It speaks to us about the need and also some of the hows that we might go about achieving that maturity in Christ. And these first 14 verses that we'll be looking at uh, describe a transformation that should take place in in all our lives. Uh, For some of us, we are well along that pathway in the transformation. For some of us, uh, we are still working on that. And for that matter, I think all of us, even younger folks like myself. But I wanted to ask you a question, but as I thought about the question, another question came to mind. It's an age-old question. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? I wonder if I could see a show of hands who think the egg came first. Anybody think the egg came first? I don't see any hands going up. Well, uh, I am here to tell you that I have found the absolutely correct answer to this question, uh, without a doubt. And I find it in the Bible. 
If you look in Genesis chapter 1 and you read about the fifth day of creation, it says, God created every winged bird. Now, how many eggs have you seen that have wings? I don't think, I don't think we'll find any. Probably not. But the question I want to ask you relates to the doctrine, the teaching we found in chapters two, 1 and 2 and the applications we're beginning to look at here. The question is, which, which comes first in deciding how we're going to live our lives? Do we look at principles? Do we look at doctrine? Uh, or on the other side, do we look at self and say, well, this is what I've been doing thus far. I've made out okay. I'm going to keep on doing this. Uh, the conduct of my life has been fine. And I plan to continue that. Which is it that we should look at in deciding this question of how to approach this, this uh, matter of growing in Christ, growing like that young plant that we looked at? Well, I think that it's easy for us to conclude and note that we really have to look first at doctrine. Uh, there are people who say, well, my conduct, my habits have all been great, and I'm going to use those as uh, to set, to establish my code of ethics. I've been, it's been working great for me, and so I'm going to continue in the, on that pathway. And I'm going to do that in the future as well as what I've done in the past. I, I did it that way before. I'm going to keep on doing it. And I think stop and think about it a little bit. This is the very basis, the beginning of how such doctrines as the doctrine of relativism and the doctrine of what I call the whatever doctrine or the thing that we hear so much about lately, the woke doctrine. And there are a lot of other really ungodly and, and selfish-minded doctrines that uh, people have developed based upon, well, I did it this way, I'm going to keep on doing it, and by the way, my philosophy is to keep on doing what I'm doing. This idea of doctrine in the, in the book that we find in Colossians and in the latter part, the application, is very common in the writings of Paul. I've mentioned those before, Ephesians, Philippians, Romans, being examples of that. This is the first command that's mentioned there in verse 1. Colossians verse 1 reads, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. In each of these uh, commands that we'd be looking at, in the context, it always gives the reason behind the command. And it's given here as well. But in addition to that, we find text back in chapters 1 and 2 that provide further reason for why we should seek those things above. In the context, what he says there is, you've been raised with Christ. Therefore, if, that word if that's used there really uh, would be better understood, I think, 
And in fact, it's translated that way in some translations as the word therefore. Therefore, you have been raised with him. So you must, it's a command, you must seek. And in fact, it's a command that's given in the present tense. So it's keep on seeking, not just now, not just yesterday, but that's to be the focus of your life is to keep on seeking the things that are above. And this brings to mind a question. Uh, When you hear the term things above, what comes to mind? What are some of the things that flash through your mind as you hear the term things above and seek the things above? Anyone? No one? Yes, eternity, being with God. Do any other things flash through your mind when you think about going to heaven, spending time in eternity? What other things are included then in the things above? Who else is there? Jesus, yes. The Son, the one whose life we try to pattern our lives after. Yes. Yes, this is, this, this seeking is something that is, it has action associated with it. And it is continuous action uh, that's intended by the word. Well, then let me ask this. Uh, It speaks of of these things above is where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. So as we've mentioned, Jesus is there. But then another question, and I want you to try to personalize this a little bit, if you will. What are the implications to me, to you, of this command to continue to seek What does it mean in your life? What should it mean in your life to continue to seek the things above? Guidance? Guidance? Yes. I'm going to have to move closer, Jeff. I'm sorry. A lifelong endeavor, yes. Exactly. plan yes that's right you don't see if you're looking for a treasure for instance you don't you need a map or a road map or something don't you the same thing is true of seeking those things above we need to develop a plan uh, and of course that plan is based upon this the word what else do you do you want to do? Do you engage in? What else should we do if we're going to seek actively those things above? Show ourselves approved. Study. Exactly. Yes. Just try to be a better Christian all the time because we falter. Like, like to me, like raising yourself up when I think of above. Mm-hmm. You're, you're trying to get to a higher level. Yeah. So you're seeking the, the better 
self and the better Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Lord has provided a self-improvement book for us, hasn't he? But seeking, uh, what she suggests is we need to continually seek after uh, things that indicate we're a better person, to strive to be a better person. Uh, if we just kind of randomly wander, allow ourselves to wander through this world without a plan, uh, without actively endeavoring to be better, uh, without looking at the plan from time to time and say, this is what I can do to be better. So those are all some good suggestions. I want to proceed on to the second command that he gives there. And that's in verse 2. Uh, this is the verse, uh, I didn't I fail to mention this, in Colossians 2 and 12, this is another foundational verse, the doctrine behind uh, this matter of seeking uh, things above. Colossians 2, 12, you were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So we've been raised, we need to seek those things above. But also... We've died. The second command in verse 2 uses the word set. Set your mind on things above. So we've had seek things above. Now we've got set your mind on. And that very much fits in with the idea of having a plan and actively pursuing and determining this is what I want to do to be better and I'm going to go after it. But set your mind on things above. Uh, And this word set, it's interesting. It's three words in in our English language, but it's only one word in the original text. It carries the idea of setting, of uh, determining in your mind that you're going to do this, this, that you're going to pursue things above. And again, there's a basis for that that's given back in the earlier chapters, back in chapter 2 at verse 20, at verse 20 rather. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? So, you've died to the world in Christ. Therefore, seek the things above. Why are you seeking the things of this world, Paul has said to them. Now he's telling them, here's what you really need to be seeking. This is what you need to set your mind on. And I was reminded in thinking about this that the entire book of, of Philippians is really all about having the mind of Christ based on Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. But uh, The book of Philippians suggests some things that are involved in having your mind set on things above. One of the things it speaks of is having a mind to work. Another is it speaks of have a mind that's not involved, not focused on mundane things of this life, of this world. Talks about having your mind being a joyful mind and a mind that's contented, contented in all of our circumstances, good or bad, trials or or troubles, highs and lows, uh, no matter what they are, 
contentment is a part of seeking or setting your mind on things above. Then he takes a little bit of diversion and gives in this context two key reasons that we should seek and set our mind on things above. The first reason that he gives is you are now alive in Christ. You were raised with Christ. Uh, and if you think about it, we as Christians, the, the Colossians that he's speaking to, uh, we are, or we were, both dead and alive. We are dead to our sins. We are alive to Christ, alive to God. Uh, and this, this idea is mentioned earlier also in the doctrinal section in chapters 1 and 2. Uh, but this idea of being dead uh, means that uh, we are alive then in a new relationship, a new relationship with Christ. The second reason that he gives for this seeking and setting is that you will be in glory with Christ. In verse 4, when Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So we can, because of the promises that we have uh, in Christ, we can have confidence, we can rest assured that uh, we will be with him in glory. It uses the word hidden there. You're, uh, when Christ is our life, uh, who is uh, in verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ. That means that you, uh, your life is, is in him. Then he proceeds to, or this section proceeds to the, ne the next command. But bef uh, before doing that, I do need to kind of lay some more foundation back from back in uh, uh, chapters, chapters 1 and 2. Uh, we, we looked earlier there at the idea of being perfect or being complete or being mature in Christ. It has various aspects to it. So in chapter 1 and verse 21, And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless. Christ's purpose for us is to take us to heaven and to take to heaven people who have lived the best possible life they can and seeking those things above, having a mindset focused on Jesus, and he will, he has cleansed us so that we can stand before the Father, holy and blameless. Then in verse, or chapter 2, of verse, uh, verses 9 and 10. For in him, that is Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Christ is the embodiment of God. And you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. And again, that word complete carries with it an idea similar to the idea of fullness. In Christ, 
we are made complete. We are made full spiritually, not in the sense that like he is, of course, that he's God, but he wants us and he prepares us and equips us to be holy and blameless and so that we can be uh, complete in him. Now he goes to, based on these things, he goes to the next command. And that is, since you're dead to the principles of the world, here are some things that you must do. In Colossians 2 and verse 20, he said again, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you suggest do you subject yourselves to regulations? We've died as Christians to the principles of the world. And he's here giving another one of those imperatives, present imperatives, commands. Uh, this is something that you need to continue to do. The first two commands, seek and set. Remember it talked about focusing on things above. Well here, as I read in chapter 2 verse 20, he's talking about what your attitude, what your focus, your mindset should be with regard to things of the world. In verse 5, he uses the word therefore again, therefore put to death your members which are on earth. So you are dead to the principles of the world. You must, again that word put, put to death. And he lists a number of sins of morality there. Uh, fornication, uncleanliness, passionate, passion, evil desire, covetousness. And then he says, you also, this was your past life. This was your life in the world. Now if you're going to think of focus on things above, you need to put to death all of these former conducts, all these ways that you behaved before. And I do just want to say just a, a brief thing about each of those. Of course, we, I think, are probably familiar with the idea of fornication, sexual deviation, unchaste behavior, that sort of thing. Uncleanness refers to impure, unnatural, immoral practices. Passion is uncontrolled desires. Evil desire, that's a strong desire or lust after doing evil. Uh, and he talks about then uh, the next part of that is he uses the word put again and he says put off the old ways, your old ways. And again this is uh, talking about this old life that they had uh, walked in in the past and he tells them they need to put off and these things that he mentions here have to do with character and they also have to do with disposition dealing with character or such things as blasphemy and filthy language then he uses uh, this is the other command that doesn't fit the seek put uh, uh, set uh, verbs but he tells them he commands them do not lie. And I had to wonder why 
in the middle of this list of evil conducts, he had to make this specific one. He spelled it out and he said, you must do this. The only explanation I, or an explanation I can think of is that lying is so destructive to the well-being, to the spiritual well-being of any of us. And if you think about it, all of these other things usually uh, somehow wind up being connected to lying. Uh, lying becomes a part of our other uh, evil behavior. So perhaps that's the reason that it's specifically spelled out as a command. But really, when you think about it, I think we would have to agree that when he commands us to do these things, seek, set, put, put on, put off, uh, that he's really capturing all of these things. You need to put off, you must put off these various evil conducts and you uh, should put on. And that's the next command that we'll go to uh, is the idea of putting on. You put these things to death. Now, uh, he says in verse in verse 12, he gives the sixth of the, of the commandments. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. So now he's talking about, have, goes from having put off the old man to talking about basically putting on the new self, the new conduct. He's given us the teaching. The reason here in this case is you are the elect, you are the chosen of God, and therefore, if you truly are the elect, if you have chosen him, chosen to follow him, you will be willing and you must put on this new conduct that he mentions here. And again, back in Colossians 1 verse 12, he gives a further doctrinal basis back there for why he says this. Colossians 1 and verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. So God the Father has qualified us. He did that through baptism. And we could, in effect, say he's elected us or he's chosen us or he's qualified us uh, for this inheritance uh, in heaven that we've, that we've spoken about. And in verse 10, he says, <clears throat> you have put on the new man that is in Christ in baptism, become a new person, newborn creature, uh, you have, that's something that you did in the past. Now, therefore, put on this new man uh, that's uh, renewed in knowledge. And again, in verse 10, renewed in knowledge. And again, that word re renewed or renewal that's used there, again, is continuing action. It's something that one 
not just uh, occasionally, but lives as a, an ongoing part of their lives. We have to continually uh, seek to put on these things. And the other thing that's uh, noteworthy about the, the, uh, the verb that's used there, it's a passive verb. You be renewed, but it's something that someone else is doing to you. God, Christ, the Holy Spirit are working on us in a continuing fashion to renew us, to build us up. But at the same time, uh, as was observed in some of the comments, we have to as well take some action to make sure uh, that that comes about without the uh, constant effort, without the continuing effort to seek, to set, to put uh, this kind of spiritual growth that we need and that we won't, uh, will not happen. God uses various means to cause us to grow. Again, he taking the action. Uh, He uses his word that has been shared with us, provided to us. He uses his providence as well in various ways. Sometimes that comes in the form of suffering. Sometimes it comes in experiences of joy and well-being and good things. But God uses our experiences of life, as we're told in Romans, uh, that uh, he uses the good and the bad, the experiences of life, to uh, cause us to grow, that they will, whether good or bad, will work out for our well-being. And again, God is at work. Uh, It's a little bit, uh, this idea of growing uh, and taking on, uh, or being renewed, rather, is a little bit like rowing a boat upstream or trying to row a boat upstream. If you try just a little bit, uh, you're probably not going to do anything but maybe sit in the same place. If you do nothing, you're going to go the other way. So it takes a vigorous, continuous effort to move. And that's very much the way that it is with us in terms of being renewed. We place ourselves in God's hand. But in Second Peter, uh, I would ask you to turn with me to Second Peter chapter 1. There's a, several verses there that describe for us our part to play in being renewed. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. And this is a fairly lengthy passage, so you might want to read along. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The book of Ephesians uses the word equipped. We've been equipped with all that we need pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, and by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now he begins to tell us the part that we must play. 
but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add, and that word, the verb add, is again in the command imperative format, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brother kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're seeing some of the same terms there that are given here uh, in, uh, in this passage on putting on in, uh, in verse 12. We're to be renewed and we are to put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, some of the same things that are mentioned in the passage in Second Peter. And the foundation of these is knowledge. This doctrine again that we talked about. Clearly, doctrine has to precede our conduct. Our way of life has to be determined based on knowledge or doctrine. Uh, and the words that's used in both passages, this one in Second Peter and the one in Colossians 3 where it uses the word knowledge, is talking about true complete knowledge. It's not just a casual understanding. He's talking about true and complete knowledge. Uh, We are commanded to add these things to our life. And he says in verse 10 again, you put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to to the image of him who created a him, or created, yes, him. So our goal is to be like Christ, to be in his image. And uh, he has given us the necessary knowledge according to the image of him so that we can be live in accordance with his image. And these things here are a part of that process of gaining the knowledge and of, of uh, living the life of having put on these characteristics. Uh, knowledge in Christ is a continuing pursuit. Uh, but it is God that we're dependent on as the source of that knowledge. Now, in verse... Verse 12, he proceeds to, he uses the expression, uh, not in verse 12, uh, uh, I've lost my place. Yes, in verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, uh, Scythian, slave nor free. This passage tells me that there are no basis for ethnic division or any kind of division. He talks about circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. There is no category that we can name that's permitted for us to discriminate against or to uh, judge harshly. All souls, as Brother James has pointed out to us, are precious. And Jesus is our all-sufficient and supreme 
source. He is the one that equips us, that provides us. He's the one on which we depend. The whole universe depends. He created us. He is the all and in all. And for that reason, there should be no discrimination against anyone. He is in everyone. He is in, at least in everyone in the sense that we are created in His image. Therefore, it is wrong for us to discriminate against someone who is in His image. The other thing that he points out here in verses 12 through 14 of these various virtues, Christian virtues, uh, that are mentioned there. And he mentions, as I've read already, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, and so on. These, compassion is, is the word that is, instead of tender mercies, it's used in some translation. Kindness, humility, meekness, love, and so on. And he also tells them, tells us, about how we should react to other people when they make life difficult, when they persecute us, when they say things that are not so nice, perhaps are unkind. Uh, We should be long-suffering. That is, bear with it for a long time. He says we should bear with one another and forgive one another. And that word that's used, that's translated into one another, uh, is, is something, as I'm sure we've probably heard before, that includes the idea of reciprocity. You bear with me, and I also bear with you. We reciprocate with one another. That is the very, a, a very fundamental, foundational part of being a Christian. Uh, I suspect many of you are familiar with the fact that there are some 60 or more expressions in the New Testament that use this phrase, one another, love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, and on and on and on. It tells how we should relate to one another. Now, kind of by way of review, I put together this chart, which I hope summarizes for you the put-off and the put-on actions. And they fall into, at least to me, they fell into these four categories. In the category of morality, put-off, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires. In the category of morality, the things we should put on, compassion, kindness. In the category of character, Put off blasphemy, filthy language, lying. Rather, put on love. In terms of our disposition, put off anger, wrath, and malice. And that idea of anger is is something that is short-term. It's it's you uh, lose your cool, so to speak, in the moment. But the term wrath has to do with long-lasting enduring anger or wrath so that you want to get vengeance. Uh, And of course, we know that vengeance 
is forbidden. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And we can understand, I think, why he forbids us to uh, be wrathful individuals. Wrath is reserved for God. Instead of those put on humility, meekness, then these virtues that, that are mentioned in don't have a counterpart in the, in the negative of putting off, or at least that's not mentioned in the text, but I suppose we can think of one or some. Put on long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. And, of course, even, even the uh, terms in disposition, anger, wrath, and malice, uh, that's the kind of reaction that one has rather than being long-suffering. So this hopefully helps us to uh, kind of see the, the bigger picture in terms of the things that we are being commanded to do here. Seek, set, put. Put off these old ways of living and conduct and put on a new person, a new disposition, a new uh, moral code, a new behavior toward one another. <clears throat> next week, next week, uh, we're going to get further into the applications, and I've chosen to focus only on three verses <clears throat> because uh, the longer passage that we'll be looking at really talks about how <clears throat> what our response to Christ should be. And part one of that is the peace rules where the word dwells will be the topic that we'll look at next week. <clears throat> Pardon me just a moment while I wet my whistle. I believe that was the first bell. Am I right about that? Well, good. That gives us time to have a prayer. Let's bow together. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for this book the book of Colossians that uh, you've provided to us. We're grateful for the foundational principles that we find and read of in the first part. And we're grateful and mindful, Father, of the roles that you've outlined for us in terms of the application. Seeking you, setting our minds on you and the things that have to do with you and your way of living. And Father, help us to put aside the things that may have burdened our lives in the past and continue to put on the kind of conduct where we are kind, where we are humble, where we have compassion, where we are loving to one another and forgiving and bearing with one another. Father, we're grateful for these lessons and we ask that you be with us as we go about our lives, that we can indeed have the blessing of your providence in our life that would help us to grow and indeed put on these things that you have outlined in your word and your will. Father, we ask your help and strength in Jesus Christ. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 
1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.